Hello, welcome, cheers, and all that good stuff. I'm Ron Sandak. He's Bob Marks. We're the pulpit. This is episode 16, coming on the heels of our return two weeks ago. And a lot has happened in that interim two-week period, most of which is Chicago-centric, I would say, if I were looking at what's happening in and around our state, although there are some absolutely tangential things going on at the state. So first the city, and then we'll connect the state, literally and figuratively. So uh, yesterday, Mayor Lightfoot, the newly elected Mayor Lightfoot, who walked into a tougher job than I think she even internally recognized. Obviously, every time someone takes a job over in a political sense, they go, I'm ready for the job right now. And then when they get the job, they go, ooh, this is going to be tougher than I thought. And that's part of the, you know, the optics and the political play, always in motion. And, and Lightfoot did all that. But unquestionably, determining that there was, you know, $838 million short of her annual budget, that is ridiculously daunting. That is ridiculously challenging. And I don't think in her heart of her hearts, she thought the gap was that big that the finances were that bad. And now she knows. Anyway, so she gave her address yesterday and it was, you know, one part political and one part super practical. And there was some, obviously, finally offerings. And the good news, there isn't going to be a massive property tax. Put an asterisk on that. Circle it. Star it. Be, underline it because Put a it dot, is. Put a dot, dot on the back end of it. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's contingent. So she identified only, you know, a little bit of a property tax increase for the libraries in the city and some designated portions, although she did float another restaurant and uh, alcohol tax. So you go to your restaurant, you get a, a burger and a beer, and the threat is to go to 11 and a quarter percent sales tax. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Restaurant Association and the political folks in that world think of that. There were nickel and diming opportunities across the board. The mayor took the path of least resistance. And though I don't blame her, don't take that as any type of criticism when she says, we're going to refinance some of the city's debt. And what they did was they, yeah, they refinanced it, but they took all the savings in next year's budget. But when you reamortize your mortgage or if you go out and refinance your mortgage, what you do not do is get the benefit of all the savings over the 15 or 30 years in one year. Well, anyway, they're booking the savings in next year, even though it's spread out over the life of the bond, in bonded indebtedness. In short, it's a silly way of trying to capture any savings. It's frankly a, an accounting gimmick, and most of the bonding companies have said as much. So that actually, all that's the good news. <laughs> Here's the bad news. She said in order not to have that huge property tax increase, she needs in this coming veto session, which starts next week in Springfield, relief from the General Assembly that will permit her to put a graduated real estate tax on transactions, sale of properties in the city of Chicago, and potentially a city income tax. Yay, go tax. Think about that. A city income tax 
and or a progressive sales tax on the sale of real estate in lieu of a property tax increase that will be monumentally more. In short, these are really still painful type of things to come. There is no short-term, you know, get out of jail card or panacea or silver bullet. You know, she delivered the message pretty soberly and I think pretty honestly, but I do not think people have yet taken hold of the gravity of Chicago's financial challenges and difficulties. That is still, believe it or not, yet to come. And it will come. Now tie in the fact that the Chicago Teachers Union is today on day six of their strike and many are attending a civil disobedience class. Let the irony of that seep in for a moment. Teachers not in their classrooms are in class as students learning to be disruptive. Could you imagine what they would give their students for attending such, a, you know, a curricular, extracurricular activity? I'm learning to be appropriately inappropriate. Yay. So the teachers are outside their classrooms looking to be rude and get attention. Unbelievable. Anyway, part of me thinks this is all political theater, grand political theater and expensive political theater. Just a sub note, gentle listeners, the CTU was all in, and I mean pushed millions of political campaign dollars for Tony Preckwinkle when the, not just when the you know primary ran, but when it was one-on-one, when it was Preckwinkle versus Lightfoot in the election runoff for mayor. They doubled down and made huge campaign contributions, offered workers, organization, political consultants and the like. They were all with Preckwinkle and they got bamboozled, run over, destroyed. And Lightfoot won, going away. And I don't think any of these folks have forgotten that. And I think part of this is political payback to try and hurt Lightfoot because She has offered more money than the city can afford to pay these teachers. I want to repeat that. She's offered an unaffordable raise to the teachers, and they have said no. We've got 80 other issues we want to discuss, including rent control legislation, affordable housing matters, social equity issues, all these things that are extra contractual, having nothing to do with the classroom, they want to talk about. Oh, yeah, we need social workers and librarians, too. Look, we all need a social worker these days. And librarians, as much as I love them and I love libraries, are antiquated. Kids are not going to the library. Their library is on their laptop right in front of them. So while I do love the access and, you know, to libraries and teaching kids how to use a library, the Dewey Decimal System is dead. And we need to use technology and use money efficiently. Lightfoot understands that. The CTU does not. But it is about the kids. Anyway, so the city is is looking into dark financial days. And, And you have this labor fight going on. Meanwhile, at nearly the same time, Lightfoot was given her, you know, city budget address with all these nickel and diming taxes, but no big property tax increase Although I got to fight the CTU who wants to take more money from me and we can't afford any of this shit as it is. Meanwhile, under cover of all that crazy in Chicago, Governor Pritzker put out a five-year budget 
analysis, forward-looking, here's what we're looking at. And the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, the state is looking at $19 billion in unpaid bills in the next five years if Governor Pritzker and the Democrats in control of Springfield don't get their progressive income tax increase. So there's a general office of management and budget in Springfield that's supposed to be not bipartisan, but nonpartisan, a distinction that makes a difference. I have to tell people bipartisan means I've got Democrats and Republicans in the room. Nonpartisan means I don't give a shit about labels. I'm dealing with numbers and policy, irrespective of ideology and political philosophy. While the G-O-M-B is supposed to be the latter nonpartisan, yet somehow, some way they come out with this. Yes, here are the stark, really dark numbers ahead for the state of Illinois, ratcheting up to 19 billion in unpaid bills. So we need to do this political solution called the progressive income tax. Nonsense. They, it, it, that would be the same as them saying, oh, we need to cut a bunch of useless units of Illinois government. They would never do that, yet they did come out with this pronouncement. Anyway, Pritzker got away with it because of what was going on in the news in Chicago. So both the city and the state, as we have discussed ad infinitum, that's today's Latin term, are in significant trouble. And yet both entities consider the same solution, i.e. new and novel ways of taxing people more. I commend for your reading the last few days, John Cass and Kristen McQuarrie, in different instances at the Tribune have talked about nickel and diming the taxpayer to death. How much more can we take from the same people before they do things in their own self-interest, like get the hell out of Dodge? That is kind of a running theme that's being utilized and talked about in so many different forums and in so many different ways. You'd think the powers that be, be it in Chicago or in Springfield or both, would get in tune with that concept, but not so far, not yet. Now, Interwoven into all this crazy on the financial side is another thing that binds both Springfield and Chicago, and that's this widening dragnet of a federal investigation that has pulled especially interesting into it ComEd, Commonwealth Edison, which is the regulated monopoly in front of the Illinois Commerce Commission, really isn't a generator of energy. It is a transmitter of energy. But it's regulated by the ICC. More to that in a second. Anyway, um, there have been some troubling allegations with respect to the sums paid by ComEd and its owner, principal owner, Exelon, which is a generator of power, as to how it got things done in Springfield. In sum and in substance, they paid exorbitant dollars to hire an army of lobbyists to push their policy initiatives, their bills, including a 2016 bill that basically subsidized some nuclear power plants owned by Exelon and whose energy is generated principally and passed along the system by ComEd. Somehow, some way that inured to the benefit of the rate payers, but one wonders how much less ratepayers would pay ComEd and Exelon if those entities didn't have an army of lobbyists pushing for their own benefit. 
Anyway, the connectivity between ComEd Exelon and politicians, including especially Michael Madden, uh, Madigan, is absolutely palpable. The former president and CEO of ComEd and uh, a, a, a pretty well-known person, Ann Parmajor, Parmajori, resigned under some or retired under some interesting circumstances. So too did some other ComEd employees that used to be listed as well-known lobbyists, as did a person very well connected to Mike Madigan, his lawyer, who lobbies as well, and used to have a former ComEd lobbyist on his dole, was cut loose, connected to a former aldermanic friend of Madigan's who was trying to get ComEd business, whose daughter-in-law heads up the ICC. I mean, there's so many different connectivities. I'm not a spur. I'm, I'm not casting aspersions. I don't know what happened because why would I know? I'm a Republican, and none of these people need lousy Republicans to do their deals. Anyway, this dragnet, which goes from Chicago to Springfield, hits McCook, Lyons, Cicero. Um, I know I'm missing someone. Uh, shoot, I forgot. Local mayors, lobbyists lawyers, contractors, tollway authorities of people. It's insane where this thing is going. Oh yeah, the Teamsters and stuff like that. Where this thing goes, I don't know, but here's what I will tell you. Uh, there's so much heat. There's bound to be further indictments. I don't know how in this coming session, the clean energy bill, I, I, I did air quotes, Bob saw me, clean energy bill, which, by the way, was backed by Exelon and ComEd. So you know there was something inherently dirty and self-serving about it. Has got to be dead on arrival, at least insofar as this session is concerned. Because, for crying out loud, the feds are paying attention. They probably are listening. Someone's probably wearing a wire, just like um, the alderman that was uh, Solis in Chicago that's supposedly involved in the indictment relative to Ed Burke. And there's just so many subpoenas out there, target letters. My gut tells me the veto session in which Mayor Lightfoot hopes to have potential relief. And oh, I forgot some relief from the gambling bill because she, the casino they have in Chicago won't work for her. She's got to have some relief from that. She probably needs some, um, other types of legislative assistance. All of a sudden, that big carry is supposed to occur in the next two weeks. I'm saying bet on nothing on that one. Um, everyone's going to hold their cards. They're going to show up. A lot of nothing will get done and go home and, and just try and exhale until whatever happens with the feds happens. But that, unfortunately, friends, is what continues to bind Chicago and Springfield and elsewhere, as, as well as suffocating debt and bad balance sheets. All right, so that's all the bad news for today, children. So we're going to try and talk about some interesting things, and we're going to take a quick little turn. So Bob has let me know that what's intrigued him recently is what's going on with California and the NCAA, the battle between the great, you know, the People's Republic of California and the NCAA. As many know, legislation was just passed. And by the way, if you want to see wherever crazy legislation starts, always look to California because. You're like, in, in Illinois, we're like, God, where did this dumb 
stupid, ridiculously crazy expensive bill come from in Illinois? It came from California. I guarantee. And I'll give you an example. So about three weeks ago to a month ago, California passed out of its assembly and signed by its handsome governor, a law that permits athletes, amateur athletes, to endorse product and engage in commerce and otherwise accept money from agents, from advertisers, engage in commercial activity that would otherwise seemingly put into doubt their amateur status. So let's just say Johnny Football or Joe Basketball, hotshot, goes to USC or UCLA. They could, you know, they're the next coming of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, whatever, or Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> anyway, they go to the University of Southern California. Put an asterisk on that, too, because we know they have an admissions problem. They pay money. They do nasty things. See Felicity Huffman, Lori McLaughlin at all. But anyway, they want to sign with Ari Gold or Ari Emanuel. Well, they can in California, at least ostensibly. So if they want to push Nike products or some energy drink or get on TV and, you know, make money outside of basketball, football, or ostensibly lacrosse, soccer, swimming, or whatever, they can do that in California. Now, of course, that makes the NCAA crazy, batshit crazy, because their autonomy and authority is being directly challenged by the state of California. Side note, Representative uh, Chris Welch, really nice guy, handsome guy out of Maywood, um, a, just a pleasant guy, a former baseball player at Northwestern, by the way. He's an attorney. Um, I don't see eye to eye with Chris on very much when it comes to policy, but he's a really likable, handsome, decent dude. But Chris being Chris saw an opportunity and he basically took that bill from California and he's got it in the Illinois General Assembly and he shopped it and got some media pop on it. So good for him. Again, you know, he he's he's camera ready. And so he's doing his bit. Now, it's a bad bill in my mind. California does that frequently. But it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Robert. I say California's law, if it's upheld, is a natural draw for student athletes of the upper, upper, upper tier as it is. But now will be even more of a destination if a kid, particularly kid from lesser means, inner city kids or rural kids that don't have, maybe aren't two parent homes or don't have stable homes or economic situations or just hell, I want to, I can cash in now, right? They're going to go to USC or the University of California or any of the plethora of California colleges and universities. If that's a platform, I think it's a distinct advantage. I say the NCAA may be waiting in the wings a little bit, but they're going to have to challenge it. Otherwise, the NCAA is dead. They have to challenge it. It has to happen relatively soon. I think there's, what, three or four states that are currently have pending um, legislation to do the same thing. And my question is to you is, so now we have that. So now there's a arguably an unfair recruiting advantage for the state of California. What does that do? Um, you know, the NCAA, as you say, they're, they're probably gearing up there most likely will be litigation firing in, in several different directions, correct? Um, if this starts to get traction and it starts to proliferate through other states and you start to have the disparity, what happens 
to NCAA? What happens to the effect on the NFL? Does this open up the door for more chicanery being pushed down into the high school oh, level, yeah. down into the grade school level? Uh, you, you, you start to take and literally erode, start to erode the foundation of athletics. And, and arguably then, what happens to the current state of disparity between you know male-female um, athletic teams um, and where the money goes? You know, Women's volleyball, women's basketball doesn't get a, a fraction of the money <clears throat> that men's basketball – and, and football um, get across the land. So there's so many issues that pop open on this. Where where do we go from here? I mean, well, how I, does this how does this not end up in a arguably bad place? Well, it, 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 the only chance it has of not arguably ending up in a bad place is if there is a temporary restraining order and a court of competent jurisdiction when all if a bunch of states follow suit. I think that's fair to assume. But even in the absence of anyone following quickly, California's situation requires some measure of judicial clarification. Does the NCAA have a monopoly on college athletics and the rulemaking association associated with college with college amateur athletes yes or no if the answer is yes california's law is extra contractual and that they can do that but then the ncaa can tell usc or ucla if your kids do this they're disqualified and they can't play in sanctioned games now we have a battle of free speech free association versus an organization of free associated members which prevails that will be interesting but to your, I mean, originally, you know, look, if, if California or other states do this, they have a built-in advantage over other states and other schools. And look, as far as eroding high school sports, you know, there's part of me is a little bit of a skeptic as it is. I don't think it touches high school sports in as much as AAU basketball and private football, little, you know, high schools like these schools in Florida where um, I can't think of the name right now, where they basically churn out Division One athletes. I think there is already a lot of chicanery <laughs> and games being played. I think it will double down and yeah, maybe it, quadruple it. Right, right. I agree. What will be interesting is the NBA and the NFL, particularly to a lesser extent, MLB and the National Hockey League, how they'll respond. My guess is they'll – side with the NCAA just because that structure is known to them, but they won't play an active role, I don't think. That being said, it will be an interesting battle to see how California's law interplays with the authority and the domain of the NCAA, which is an organization that I think, you know, makes a lot of dumb decisions a lot of time. It'll be interesting to see if that structure is is because this is, you know, an existential threat to the NCAA, yeah. right? I think it's, um, I think it's a it's it's a threat to athletics as we know it. I mean, I, I think this is just the 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 the. I don't know if it's a threat to athletics, box. Bob. I I think it's the structure that we know it is for sure. Let me I'm, let me clarify. Yeah. Yes, I think that's more appropriately stated. I think you the structure that that we have all grown up on. Would it market they, forces are going to be at work? Play right? devil's advocate. Well, I'm usually with market forces, so that's okay. Play devil's advocate. What if 
the University of Alabama no longer, and, and by the way, every university, but Alabama is kind of the football example, and Duke or North Carolina or Kansas is the basketball example, right? What if they could hire their own athletes and they had to pay their athletes and they didn't have to be full-time students, Yeah, right? Isn't that kind of a meshing of what we're talking about yes, now? Absolutely. You know, why would you go to the University of Illinois or Northwestern or Notre Dame or Stanford or Michigan if you could go to Alabama Mississippi State, or a school of, and I don't want to harm anyone's reputations, a less less than academically challenged school in comparison to the elites. Maybe Harvard could hire, could hire and find the best football team then, right? Or University of Chicago. Anyway, this is all going to be really interesting to watch down the line. Um, and we'll do a follow-up on that. Yeah, I, I do want to detract this one because I think it's a good – it's a good thing to kind of just see where, you know, the modern world's going. And it, it's, this is a, a microcosm of a lot of things to come. Last thing I want to bring up, it appears the Cubs hired David Ross. Backup catcher, 40-year-old guy that hit a home run in the World Series in 2016. Player favorite, never coached a major league baseball team. WTF. <laughs> we talked about it last week. But seriously, now that it's here, I love David Ross. I think the guy is oh, he's awesome. Everything you read about the guy is a, he's a class guy. Maybe people out there would argue that, but what in God's name are they thinking? So here's what I'll tell you. Answer me this, Mr. Cubs fan. Was he on any other team's radar or managerial search? Not that I'm aware of, but I can't say that with any kind of I think you're right. And today Joe Girardi just got named the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. It, I think Girardi wanted to be the Cubs manager. He's wanted to be a Cubs manager for 15 Joe years. Joe Espana, the bench coach for A.J. Hinch and the Astros, was, I thought, a perfect fit. I happen to like Mark Loretto. But these are bench coaches and Girardi the manager. I Look, I think David Grandpa Ross is a likable dude. He is going to have a challenge times 10, and he's going to be under the white hot spotlight of the Chicago Cubs expectations and fans in the post Madden era, the window of the core players is not opening wider. It's shutting so that his timeline is short. It'll be really, really interesting to see how this all works out. Um, Some people tell me that doesn't matter who your manager is anymore. It's all saber metrics. It's all analytics. I say bull flipping shit. Your manager matters. Otherwise, why even have one, right? right. Um, irrespective of all that, um, good transition because in my quick heroes and villains, I got David Ross as a, a hero because I think he's a good guy. I think he portrays the game of baseball and is a good standard bearer of how to play the game right, hard, the right way, all that stuff. I like him. Uh, my, my villains section is the CTU who I find myself wow. fi- just – being really harsh on, I get it. They want to collectively bargain for their members. Well, go ahead and do that when it comes to wages and benefits. But when you start throwing clearly political stuff into a contract, like, you know, affordable housing and rent control, now you're playing games, you're playing politics, and the CTU has visibly made themselves out to be 
not for the kids, but for themselves. Everyone knows that, but now it's more open and apparent. I find it um, ugly. And they're, they're going after Lightfoot for political reasons. Right. Um, so she's in my hero's box too. Um, look, I, I found some of the stuff that she's doing to be against where I see the world and how things should go, but she has stood firm and clear and I think she's been an honest broker. So I'm pulling for my last villain. Um, I had him as a hero last two weeks ago is J.B. Pritzker for that game with G-O-M-B. And this, we need to tax this tax increase. Hogwash, sir. Hogwash. Boo to you. All right. So that's 28 minutes and 33 seconds of action-packed pulpit from you, for you. He's Bob Marks. I'm Ron Sandak coming to you from our unbelievably pristine new studio in Downers Grove. It's temporary. Um, <laughs> cheers. Godspeed. All the best. Until next week. Adios.